Here is a great chance to gain insights into how to build big businesses and what mistakes can and should be avoided. Not only is this podcast the brainchild of the brand called You, it is also an HT Smartcast original and it is available on htsmartcast.com, India's fastest growing podcast producing platform. Today I have a very very senior automotive professional with me. Vinay Pipersania, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashutosh. It's a pleasure to be here with you. you. Vinay is from IIT Delhi. He's an MBA from the US. He is a global consulting director with Counterpoint Research. He is the founder and principal of Millinstrat. Been with the auto industry for over three decades. That's right. So, Vinay, tell me a little bit about your early career. You never really decide your career. I think until you sort of are so when you are passionate about something. And I think when you say automobile, I think it was more mechanical engineering. Okay. So as a boy, I used to have a lot of toys. And it was great fun just breaking them down and then taking the pieces. And, you know, you took three, four toys and then made seven, eight out of them. So it's been great fun. And I you must have been a you know, big user of what we used to call Meccano. That's correct. So Legos and Meccanos, these were great right. fun for us. And I'm, I'm older than you, but there was no Lego in my time. <laughs> but uh, clearly, the idea of building something was always fun. Cars uh, definitely became a passion because of the fact that, you know, you just have that feeling of creating something that can start taking a life. It's just like when a car engine starts, you say, whoa, that's, it's come alive. Okay. So I think when you get that excitement... That's really something you want to be a part of. So that's how I got started. Mechanical engineering was a real strong passion. That's what I wanted to be in. And, uh, you know, while in India, which is the best place to do it, and everybody's saying the IITs. So I made sure that I got into that. It wasn't easy. In fact, I had to start off one year in some other course, and then I had to do the exam all over again so that I could get my department. But even while, you know, studying at IIT Delhi, you realize that you get a lot of theory, but very little practice. So that's when I decided that, you know, unlike the other colleagues who were sort of going abroad and others, you know, doing other courses, I decided I'm going to really get into hardcore apprenticeship. So that's when I joined Tata Motors okay. and uh, as a graduate engineer. And one of those few guys who used to wake up, you know, six in the morning, get to the shop floor, whether it was forging or it was in, um, you know, machining was there and very keen to get my hands greasy and dirty. So it was great fun. And after that, it was sort of something that I realized I got to get more and more into. So product development was one of the aspects. Product testing was another. So I had a great opportunity to be able to be involved in that. So how many years with Tata Motors? It was three years. Okay. And at a time, and I'm talking in the uh, you know late 80s, when Tata Motors also was introducing a whole new range of products. So we were these new bunch of engineers that were involved in this product testing. From heavy commercial vehicles, they were getting into light commercial vehicles. They were also considering a car project at the time. But that's when the bug caught. These cars 
And India, as you know, at that time was nothing. We had Fiat's and yeah. we had uh, ambassador and a fashionable headed. Exactly, and you know, you so starting that Contessa, which was sort of this new monstrosity of a vehicle, but it was sort of most uh, sought after. Definitely realize how do you bring some better, more modern vehicles? So I think that's really when you decided we've got to make something different for our generation. Mm-hmm. So that's how I sort of got into vehicles and I realized let's go back to the US and uh, do my MBA and uh, let's see how we can get into the marketing and uh, the promotion of development of these vehicles. And in the US, which companies did you work with? So I didn't work in the US. Mm-hmm. My idea was always to come back and get really involved. Okay. So what I did was that I realized I want to do marketing. Uh-huh. But when I had this new, you know, bright shining degree, mm-hmm. let's go into marketing. I actually joined the Oberoi Hotels. Oh, wow. And I had a one-year stint over there at East India Hotels. And uh, the idea of understanding luxury products, the idea of understanding how emotive people are about certain aspects of their lifestyle, that marketing development and insight was really powerful. And that's when I joined, had a chance opportunity to join the General Motors, Hyundai and the Subaru distribution and the Middle East operations. That's where I sort of got the really cut my teeth into hardcore international, you know, distribution, promotion. So tell me, you know, a few minutes ago, you mentioned about the emotions, you know, a car evokes when you start the engine. My question to you is that you've spent so much time with cars or with automobiles. How do you define the incredible emotion an individual has with his or her car? You know, that's something, it's primal. It's almost as if you need speed. Correct. The ability to be independent and mobile just opens your horizons. So I think the first and foremost is you come of age. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that you can't drive till you're 16 or 18 and uh, that you have to get a license to do that. It suddenly becomes something you've been denied. So I think the idea first and foremost is I'm old enough to drive. I think that's your first step into adulthood. It isn't high school. It isn't. You know, anything else but the fact that I can now drive on my own and I can actually go to places while I still have to borrow somebody's car, but I don't have to tell anybody where I'm going. So I think uh, that primal instinct of now going out and discovering and looking at the world at your own terms Mm -hmm. is what that first grip of that steering wheel does. So, you know, I'll share a very interesting story. You know, when I was at ITC and the first time we were transferred to live outside India in Mm -hmm. Singapore, We'd only been driving these, you know, 1,000cc cars and 1,200cc cars. And right. Our first vacation, I remember, as a family, in 1989, we'd gone to Australia. Okay. And the car I hired was a 4-liter Holden. All right. And All that's right. the only car I remember having ever hired. I mean, I bought hundreds of cars. <laughs> but then one 4-liter car always stays in my mind. Correct. I just think it's a feeling of power. Yeah. It's a feeling of something that's got, you know, you, you got plugged into, which suddenly transforms you and equalizes you with everyone else. Absolutely. It didn't matter what size you were, what height you were, Absolutely. you could move as fast and Absolutely. as you like. So, you know, when I, as, as a car industry veteran, if I can use that term, you know, in, in today's scenario, the entire industry is facing a lot of challenges. What do you think are the reasons for these challenges? Well, I don't think it's just the automotive industry. I think it's almost every industry. And that, I think, happens if you look at the cycle of way products and services have been introduced. They all follow some sort of a cycle. And I think there's an era when it changes. Yeah. 
for automotive, it was, you know, 100 years ago when it was the 19th, you know, when coming to the 20th century. Yeah, with the Model T. And with the Model T, that transformed the world. Correct. So you'll always find something transforming in certain decades or certain centuries. So now it's the age of, you know, electronics. Technology is becoming more and more enabled. So if you actually, I mean, and we talk about times that are when we were both kids, Star Trek, mm-hmm. or when you, you had those science fiction movies uh, like, like Star Wars and that world is actually happening. So that inspiration that you get from all those abilities and why can't life be like that? So I think all these needs, and that's the way I want it, is now beginning to get realized. So you're seeing now that mobile phones, being able to communicate. You know how challenging it used to be when you used to have our rotary yeah. phones there. Yeah. But now once you have a phone, that life now wants, you want other things to be in the same seamless way. Mm-hmm. So it's natural to expect, why is it that my biggest gap is in the automobile today? When I get into the car, I have to stop. When I get into a flight, I am no longer in touch with all those empowerment that I have through my smart technology. That's driving a different need. And whenever there's a new need, there's a new opportunity. And that's what I think is happening in all industry. In fact, you know, the company that I founded, Millenstrat, I call it Millenstrat because now you have to have strategies for the millennials. Millennials are really having access to a huge amount of technology that has made life a lot more convenient at a finger touch, at a voice activation. These are what are causing the transformation. So So I'm going to come to the discussion on millennials because I have a question. Because millennials and automobiles have a very, very interesting linkage with one another, as indeed all of us did, you know, when we were their age. But I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, you know, you said that the way the, the industry is transitioning. We are beginning to see a lot of electric vehicles coming in. Tesla, of course, is a case, <laughs> a case which everyone probably has read about. And the Chinese are coming in aggressively with electric vehicles. So what do you think is happening to the electric vehicle market in our country? So, you know, you always remember that when these technologies have got introduced, either there's an opportunity or a threat, or there's a pressure point, correct? And the pressure point has turned out to be environmental. And it's the cost of fuel, you know, oil security, all those aspects. But the fact is, is that unless it reaches the point where it's as convenient as what you have right now, it's not an option. So I'm not going to compromise something just because, you know, that's, that's what research always shows. Clients or customers aren't going to say, I'm going to change my technology just because it's environmental friendly. I need a bigger driven, something economic yeah. or something which is really going to make my cost lower, uh, for example. So electric vehicles is not just the powered electricity. It's actually the whole, you know, systems and uh, the benefits and the features that come along with it. So what we're seeing now is, is that the powertrain is actually getting challenged. It was like the television. We used to have tubes and now you have flat screens. So the similar thing, you come with a new paradigm, I can. I need to be mobile. I can be driven through a motor, or I can be driven through an engine. The engine has got is reaching a point where you know all research now is how further and further can you go. It's more expensive, and therefore now the if you want to really transform it, you need a whole new technology, which is where electric motors come. Why do I have two thousand parts when I can do it with twenty? So what somebody like Tesla or something like or what has happened in China? These are People without legacies. China was an emerging market. 
And uh, just like India, they also realized the pressure points that are coming from the environment, the pressure point that was coming from the uh, consumption of you know, fossil fuels. And therefore, you needed to take some action. So because they didn't have the legacy, they could look forward and get started and impose policies that introduced electrification of vehicles. Tesla was a complete, I don't have to do it your way. And I'm going to completely transform and look at it. And that's the vision they had. But now, even we as users have started to question, why is this ownership even involved? Correct. It's just a question of being mobile, right? How much is my cost of operation? Correct. And that? Correct. So therefore, this cost of operation has now become the management factor, the resource factor. How do I bring that cost down and down? It started with share mobility. But now it's saying the operational cost, which is where electrification yeah. comes easier. So electric vehicles is definitely the option that's going to go forward, much like the flat screen has come. You know, one of the other rather comments that I've often heard, and I've heard it for a very long time, that investment in a vehicle is the most, is the investment that gives you the poorest return because it is the most underutilized asset that you have. So with that at the back of your mind and the fact that our millennials now don't want to own assets, how do you think that is transitioning? I mean, you already have the Uber and the Ola and the Lyft all over the world. Mm-hmm. So firstly, I mean, yes, the investment as in productive asset, very little okay. usage. You know, I mean, it's researchable between 10 to 20% at best for an individual. Absolutely. But the pride and the satisfaction of owning it Correct. is far more powerful. Absolutely. So that's when we talked about the emotive part. So the fact is, is that convenience and if I don't have an alternative, you know, mobility option, my public transport, you know, the comfort and the convenience, those things start factoring in and there's a big value that you start associating with that. Mm-hmm. My being able to go whenever I want to, I put a value. And that's where the having a car parked in front is sort of what makes it. The status, I mean, as you know, it's, it's priceless. Mm-hmm. And owning a car mm-hmm. seems to be, I've arrived, it's a membership to the club yeah. So I don't think that has gone till now. But yes, people are beginning to question. It's such a big cost in my overall life. And now your whole economics, your, you know, how your spending has changed. In our time, we never changed on subscriptions and mobile phones like the way we're doing now. You know, on apps and other things that we're doing too. So those expenditures have come in. And what you're looking for is opportunities to save so that you can spend it on other things that you value. Which is where the car ownership and the expenses that are going with the operations and ownership is now saying, hey, let me balance that out. So that's where the millennial attitude has really changed. And why do you want to own an entry-level vehicle? You want a vehicle that is far more utilitarian or you need different options for different experiences. Experiences is what it's all about. So we experienced a car. But imagine we had our time 800 cc's and, you know, a small vehicle or a scooter was our first mobile sort of option. But now I can get myself straight into an SUV. I can get myself into a Mustang or, you know, a performance vehicle. So I want as many experiences as possible, as quickly as possible seems to be the more gratification that everybody wants. That's where this whole mobility option is beginning to change. Okay. The experience hasn't gone. No, no, I'm with you. But the options of how I can get a piece of it has really... I want the experience, not the ownership. Not the ownership. I don't want the problems with it. There's just too many hassles and it's become far too expensive. Correct. So, you know, know, when you spoke about the fact that you had worked with Tata's, you worked with General Motors, you worked with Hyundai's. My question to you is that if I was to look at or ask you a question, 
on how are the US car companies doing as compared to the Chinese car companies right. which seem to be taking over the world. What are your thoughts? So let's look at it this way. So I was with, we were part of the team that set up the Board India operations mm-hmm. in the country. And the idea is, is that, yes, the first tendency is to, you know, what, what, okay, uh, let me go back a bit. When you entered India way back in 95, 96, there was really no historic information. Okay, we didn't have any pattern to follow because the country was very limited in its you know, vehicle choices. And you actually had to start on a clean sheet of paper. And if you did research and ask people, what do you want? Everybody said, I want fuel efficiency. Kicking the idea was sort of the most important aspect. I wanted diesel versus petrol. I wanted, you know, I wanted all the luxuries. And there were certain features that they never quite understood. What is power steering? How much value do you put to that? How much do you do a power window? So when you start coming in with, you know, as, a, as an international company, whose standards were already very evolved and then had to sort of, you know, dumb down or downsize or sort of come more primary, Mm -hmm. functional. It was a challenge because you didn't have a product like that in your portfolio. So what happened was that you had to take two strategic choices. Do I bring this and I match the affordability? So that's a strategic investment. We sort of price it that way. Or do we actually introduce it and start telling people, this is what you can, but you have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. These are certain things that can... To develop a product is actually very, very expensive. And, you know, for example, let's say an example of how much it invests. Let's say we have a backlight, you know, which has a heated thing. Now, in India, that really wasn't necessary. That wasn't a feature that most customers wanted Mm -hmm. because, you know, the cold weathers Mm -hmm. and all in the rest of the world. But to actually take it off was more expensive. So we would include it, you know, for example. And but all these raised costs. And then you had other players in the country that could do it far more economically yeah. because they had, you know, they had cost that was much lower earlier in the investment. But we were in the forward cycle and it became far, far more expensive. So there was one, the lead time, mm-hmm. there was then the investment, and then there was the strategic decision to price it affordable okay. and all that. And then, of course, the real asset test was when the customer actually rated the products and accepted it. So it took a lot of time. So I think companies like the American companies and the initial ones, General Motors, Ford, ourselves, Mm -hmm. and Hyundai, we all came in with different niches. We take different categories and segments. Hyundai took one category. We took one category. GM took another category. And each one placed their bets on that. So eventually, you know, we all had, if you look at our segments, we were leaders. Mm -hmm. So with the Icon or, you know, with uh, Hyundai, with the Santro, everybody had their categories. But nowhere could we meet the volumes which were there. India has always been a very oligopolic kind of an environment where you have two or three major players. And that's the power that they had was always strong. They had the cost advantage. They had the distribution advantage. That takes time to set up. It took us 10, 15 years to get there. I understand. So let me move on now and come to Mill and Strat. You know, you said that the name came from the strategy for millennials. Right. Tell me a little bit about Millen Strat and what is the strategy for millennials? All right. So the real, the inspiration of that came because we have four millennials in the family. Okay, my two daughters and I have two nephews. And I realized, you know, after having worked and studied marketing so much that this new pattern was coming. And that was what I was doing in the last three, four years uh, when I was at Ford, Ford in India. And the idea was, is that their whole experience, the way they were processing, the way they were gaining the info, getting the information, mm-hmm. what they were looking to buy, what were the experiences they were looking to do, 
I mean, I saw that around, you know, very much with my four, uh, with the four kids in the family. And that's when you realize that I got to learn from them. Yeah, I couldn't be, I was very humbled by the fact that my marketing sort of, you know, learnings, I had to update them up on that. Mm -hmm. So that's when I realized it's not just me, but even companies have to do it. They're the new workforce. Mm -hmm. They're the new buyers. They're the ones whose product, you know, touch and feel has to completely change. And the way they're going to decide and consider different brands mm. has also changed. Yeah. So realize that even at Ford, it was a tremendous, significant investment that we were undertaking to understand. And I'm saying that was a company that is a leader that's expected. But how about other smaller uh, you know, and medium enterprises? Have they understood the challenges and opportunities mm. that are coming or they'll be obsolete very fast? Yeah. That's when I realized that that's an opportunity to be consultant on. But more importantly, I wanted to learn more. Okay. And therefore, it gave me access. And uh, there. so I do a number of pro bono projects just to be learning. So, so tell me, give me an example of uh, what kind of, you know, without giving names, etc. And if it's not confidential, explain, uh, help me understand for uh, the thousands of listeners and viewers who will see us and hear us. What kind of, give me an example of something that you've done. Okay, so, you know, so two things like in a car company. For example, now what you really need to realize is, is that in the retail, you know, in the dealership, do these millennials actually visit the dealership? So when, whether it's a two-wheeler or whether it's a car, what is it that, how do they gain the information? So now you realize this, is that their visit to the dealership is after a tremendous amount of data evaluation from different sources. They value transparency. So done a lot of research. And what is it that they pour in their in their whole you know journey between you know considering all the way to final purchasing? What is it that really gets them going? The first and foremost is access to that information. So today you would think they would visit an OEM website. Okay, yes, they'll understand the product. Then they want to go to a dealership website and understand who's the nearest location. And the minute it is clumsy or it is awkward or the information isn't there, it just starts to become less and less in their favor. So if you want to really grab people's attention, you have to have some, you know, you you actually have to have very optimized search engines which pull your name out. Mm -hmm. They will start ranking you and rating you and seeing what is the feedback from all the different uh, people who've used it before. Mm -hmm. And that becomes... You know, restaurants, we do that. When in a car, we're saying, let's go eat here. Oh, no, no, mom, let's just check it out. And before you know it, they've already got four. We're going to this one because he's got a three rating. He's got, this one's got a two rating. So, you know, already that's how decisions are taken. So advising our clients on the fact that, look, you need a digital strategy. To believe that word of mouth is just going to go if you don't, if you're not on social media, you're not on, you don't have a rating or a ranking or likes on your, uh, you know, feature, you're not going to get there. The journals and the magazines, yes, in India, they still seem to be relevant, but you have to have a strategy which is far more, you know, integrated. Okay, you have to go on different medias. The cost of all this has also started to reduce, believe it or not. But the production value, the communication wordings, the content. All that has to start to change. Advocacy has far more relevance than sure. pure advertising. Sure. So, and, and let's say this uh, particular uh, you know session that we're having, this has become more powerful. Correct. I want to hear it from somebody else. I don't want to hear it from you. I don't trust what you're seeing. I begin to realize there's a lot of you know you you manage the content, but now I want to hear it from somebody else, and I value those opinions stronger than I value understanding what you're saying. So, we I only time for a few more questions. You know, there are a few personal questions mm-hmm. to you. 
So, you know, over the last three decades that you have worked and worked all over the world, have you had any people who've had a strong influence on you? And if yes, what have you learned from them? Oh, I mean, the journey has been long as we gather. But yes, I think uh, clearly the people in the beginning who help you get access to what it's like, you know, who allow themselves, who allow themselves to be shadowed by you has been a very powerful tool. So I think if there are two things that I did early on, you know, one is that what I keep telling them, uh, you know, some of the youngsters today, don't worry about salaries or, you know, the, the, the prestige of a certain job. If you go to a place which allows you an opportunity to doors, to uh, see the whole, you know, enterprise, entity, meet people, that's really where you got to go. So I remember when I was in IT, you know, people were going out and joining all these. And I joined Tata Motors. I mean, it's it's like, yes, for an engineer, that sounds like a dream job. But, you know, for IT, no, we got other options. Mm. And my thing was, no, I'm going to go there. And I think that really worked out well. Because all the people who I had a chance to train with, my supervisors, we had actual formal training. But I was actually in the workshop also. Mm. And I actually, my biggest lesson I learned was there was a Sikh gentleman who has been honing engines. If you know a diesel engine, you sort of re, uh, you know, you re-bore them so that the engine can take another life. I spent about maybe a week uh, with him, hands-on working. He taught me the value of how really you add value. You can have great ideas. You can have great things. But unless you know how to do it, nobody's going to trust you. Sure. So that was one lesson. You have to have experience in the job. So while doing that, we were also fast-tracked, you know, with different uh, mentors in uh, the Tata Motor system. And one particular mentor, Suresh Shittasani, was very, he, he almost took me under his wings. And I had a chance to understand what, what uh, discussions were happening, how you get your budgets approved, how you get uh, a management uh, to understand and speak to them in a form where you're equals. Not that, you know, I'm coming in, I'm the youngster in the group. No, age didn't matter. Your education was your equalizer. Your experience was your equalizer. The more you come out with it, the better you will be able to gain their attention and gain it fast. Right. And use that surprise to your advantage, which is when you go in, people expect you to hear. But when you start talking or presenting, people start saying, whoa. There's something there. So always look for that little. These are some uh, people that I had a chance to explore. But I had several in, in Ford Motor Company. We had access to a lot of multinational management. They taught you the culturally what's required, that, that sensitivity to certain aspects, how to monitor customers and value differentiation and diversification. These are things that really changed my approach. Wonderful. So when we've come to the end of the show, we're out of time now. But thank you very much. Thank it's you. It's an absolute pleasure. pleasure speaking to you. Thank you. And uh, thank you for sharing so much of your knowledge. And good luck with Milan Strat. Thank you, Ashutosh. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Brand Called You, and never miss any update. For feedback, reach us on at HT Smartcast. We are present on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To listen to more podcasts by the brand called You, log on to www.htsmartcast.com or suno nay nazari se. This was an HT Smartcast original. 
HD Smartcast.